This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today I have Tim Parlier joining me. Uh, Tim is from Southern California, down in Encinitas, north part of the San Diego County, and he is part of the Saturate team helping us lead and think through uh, how to engage students in the next generation, how to equip the next generation of disciple makers. And so excited to have Tim on the team and be on the podcast today to talk about some of that stuff of how do we help students and high school kids, junior high kids engage in the mission of God and how do we equip them for that. So Tim, thanks for joining us this afternoon. And yeah, so glad that you're on the team and on this podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. You know, we go way back. Yeah, way back. Yeah, because we've hung out in sunny Southern California multiple times before I ended up moving down here. And then last Saturday, we were together at the Saturate event in Sanitas. And you told me in one of the breaks about this California burrito at a restaurant called the Taco Stand. And it was just really good discipleship. You like pointed me to a worship experience. And for that, I'll always be grateful. And uh, I think the world needs to know about what they're doing at the taco stand. So, Mm -hmm. and you're an evangelist. So can you evangelize the Saturate podcast listeners so they can know about this burrito? Well, it's my pleasure because it is good news. (laughs) <laughs> and we are going to be talking about discipleship. And it just so happens that uh, burritos, we did a huge poll. I don't know if you saw the results, but burritos were actually the most effective form of food when disciple making. Really? Abundant research that was done. <laughs> uh, there wasn't even a close second food item either. So anyways, with that in mind, uh, I found the taco <laughs> stand or they found me. They moved into Encinitas. I wouldn't call it a chain, but there's a few locations in San Diego and um, everybody that's been to San Diego at some point, I hope is going to try a California burrito of some sort, but the taco stand does it exceptionally well in that it has the normal California burrito. And if you don't know what that is, it's a carne asada burrito. So steak burrito, but they throw avocado in there, which is the California element and French fries Mm -hmm. with the sour cream, the cheese, then they wrap it up. But the thing that Taco Stand does so exceptionally well, which is good news, gospel abundance, is. <laughs> is that they take cheese and they put it around the original burrito and then they double wrap it. So there's a layer of cheese in mm-hmm. the middle of the double wrap, which they then grill so it melts and creates the the gospel goodness. And so that's why it's so effective for discipleship. Um, you get <laughs> you get to places in people's personal lives you never would have otherwise. Yeah. yeah. You're already practically at tears anyway. So talking it's about so deep spiritual matters is just naturally a next element. I think that all makes sense because when you're trying to have gospel conversations, you know, you don't want to be like looking down with a fork and a knife trying to cut something like mm. a burrito. It's just there. It's in your hand and you can just gaze at the other person 
eye to eye. That's right. And uh, yeah, or you can go on a walk with the burrito. That's it. Yeah, it was really fun. I'm glad you told me about that spot. And then uh, it was fun to text back and forth as we're eating it. And you're like, gotta try this sauce. And then you were right, like that Chipotle yeah. creamy sauce. That oh, was like money. That's where it's yeah. at. <laughs> so anybody, if you ever are down here in Southern California, yeah, you should check out the taco stand. Yeah, and that's the name of it. it it's not an actual stand. That's just the name of the restaurant. So right. it's a point of clarification. That's important. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also like how you said that the taco stand came to you. That was a good gospel presentation. It was sent. Yeah, yeah. it was sent. Yeah. It's a missionary identity being lived out. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, uh, Tim, beyond the burrito, excited to have you on. And uh, just to introduce you to the the listeners mm-hmm. and to people that are following Saturate and, you know, gaining uh, resources and stuff from us. And I know you've written a lot for the blog, but maybe you could just share kind of like what disciple making looks like for you and the, the everyday stuff of life. Sure. Yeah. And I think even to further what you just said about being on the Saturate team is, and as we look at student life, it's neat to see the position I'm playing, if you will, on the team isn't a solo job. I, Todd worked with Josiah Venture in Europe, Todd Moore, for years. He met Jeff mm-hmm. Vanderstel through Sun Life Ministries. Jeff worked extensively with with uh, teens and youth and all the, I mean, there's so many people that have great resumes in the student ministry world uh, that have now gone on to plant churches and equip leaders. It's really neat to be mm-hmm. uh, on that. Cause I, I'm just as much on that learning continuum as any other disciple of Jesus. Just so happens I'm still on the front lines of student ministry with FCA. You know, and for me to answer your question about discipleship, it was really helpful for me when I came around the language of Soma and Saturate and to hear the talk about taking the Sunday to the everyday, because I was very much in that mindset of, hey, I'll volunteer at youth group or, you know, if Mm -hmm. my church has this thing, I'll show up for whatever time slots I need people. Um, But then at some point hearing the language that, you know, the scorecard had shifted, that just doing normal everyday stuff with people and in students in this case, uh, that that counted and that God was using time being spent with them. Man, I took that to the bank. And today, what that looks like for me is um, I'm on staff at our church part-time. My wife and I host a missional community. We lead one with a couple other of our leaders. Uh, So we have people in our home regularly and we have two little boys. So we have a three-year-old named Bo and a one-year-old almost named Lincoln. So Mm. that gets us to parks often and (laughs) hanging with other, other moms and dads at the park, meeting people. And then the other hats that I wear is I uh, work for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So I've been with them for about six years. And primarily my work has been focused around high school students. So uh, equipping leaders for their clubs and events and all the other kinds of stuff. But big part of that for me was shared life stuff. From early on in my career with FCA, I just found that a lot of our events were, were fun and they were good. And I was seeing gospel fruit. But it was limited from what mm-hmm. I could see. And I think just the way God wired me, I had a desire to connect more deeply and really see their lives transformed. And I knew I'd never get to see that if all I did was see them once a week. And so for me, that just began this journey of going over to their houses, playing video games, having them in my house, eating yeah. burritos, 
Um, <laughs> and I was just telling the story recently with one of our other staff because we had a staff meeting this morning. One of the ways that I became really close with a student who's now a senior up at University of Washington, back when he was a sophomore, we we met and he started leading the FCA club. And the way that I actually got really close to him was I would go over to his house and play FIFA and Madden on Xbox. And he would just tell me stories about what's going on with his friends and year after year of just doing normal stuff together. Hmm. Obviously, those conversations of dating and uh, him joining a fraternity in college and conflict with his parents and you know books he's reading and witnessing to his friends in his fraternity and at parties and stuff like that. All those things came uh, with this guy named Craig. All that came actually way after we just spent a bunch of time building our friendship. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's necessarily a model of, of, of ministry. I didn't even plan it to be that way, but most of the fruit that I've seen, and he's just one example, has been me just spending time getting to know guys where they're at and then um, just being a, trying to be a really good friend. And when the spirit opens the doors for more, being faithful to act as he leads. Yeah, I love that you share that story. And it is an interesting reality that there's a lot of us that are trying to lead people into, you know, being disciples and that sort of relational discipleship that kind of have these roots in in youth ministry, um, which is what we want to talk about today. It's actually a topic that comes up a ton on our like community message board and people asking local churches that are doing missional communities. People ask a lot, like, can this work with students? Is this possible? Which in some ways is really funny and interesting, but it also it's, it's just a really big struggle that I think people have is to, to think of youth ministry differently or to imagine how you would go about doing this, which is why we're excited you're on the team and what this episode is going to be about. So maybe the first question, Tim, for you to, to give us some thoughts on is, can like high school students live on mission? Like, is that a possibility or, or do they need to be the mission? I guess is what I think most churches are kind of set up thinking like mm-hmm. you got to reach the kids, but can we actually equip them to be sons and servants and, and missionaries? Some of the most successful missionaries I've met have been kids that have uh, led the FCA clubs that I've seen. It never ceases to amaze me when God gets hold of somebody's heart, regardless of age, they don't need a whole lot of training and mm. systems in place to be effective on mission. To me, it's a natural overflow of what the Holy Spirit's trying to do anyways. And when somebody mm-hmm. surrenders themselves to that, mission happens. And I think you guys yeah. had an episode not too long ago about the goal isn't even missional communities, it's missional people. Yeah, I'd say it's the same thing for students. There are some great systems and I'm a wholehearted believer in missional communities, but missional communities that are successful are a result of, in this case, students that really have a passion for Jesus and a passion for their friends who don't know him that are hurting, they see the needs and they want to go meet them. And mm-hmm. I love to find those kids and capitalize on the passions that they have and then even fan the flame and give them some tools that might make them more effective. But I don't know if it's if you're looking for a simple answer or more in depth, but I, I'm a firm believer that students absolutely are ready and willing to give their lives mm-hmm. for a cause and many of them willing to give their lives for causes that aren't worth giving their lives for. And right. when we, when we, I think it's important to say when we, we talk about students, it can be any age group, particularly my, my frame of reference is more high school and university students. However, 
we see junior high kids all the time that are sharing their faith or praying at events or whatever else. Um, but I think we need to have age appropriate expectations as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because you can't treat, you know, a 15 year old kid the exact same way that you would try to equip like a 55 year old woman, right? Like, like those are different seasons of life, different issues that they're facing, different ways of communicating, different even questions that they're asking of the gospel. And so I wonder, there's going to be a lot of student (laughs) ministers that listen to this episode, as well as uh, pastors and stuff like that. How can a church or adults, you know, really invest their lives in equipping students for mission? What are some of the things that you've seen or principles that, that really help us do that? Well, I would start by saying that student ministry can't be a silo of what the church does. It, it, it just can't be its its own ministry that's set apart and isolated. And that if people from other stuff the church is doing want to get involved, they they eject from the other stuff and land over in student zone. There's got to be ongoing conversations on leadership teams about what are we doing holistically to reach students? Because I think the reality is you're not just trying to reach students or equip students. You're, you're, I would say, idealistically, I would much prefer to see the whole family become mm. discipled. And another reason why it can't be a standalone isolated entity of, of ministry is because the primary disciple makers of any student are their parents, whether, right. the, whether they're discipling them towards Jesus or discipling them towards something else, right. they're still having the greatest impact on that child's life, student's life, even up through college, they're still yeah. the primary influencers. So having a, an approach to the student's care while being and equipping can't just be a bunch of guys. My common experience is youth ministry folks tend to be kind of huddled in their own, they kind of have their own conference, they have their own conversation, their own table. They're usually the younger folks in the room. That's, I think they lose out because they're still growing as disciples. So they lose out on the bigger church philosophy. Um, But I also think they need to be having input into what they're seeing in the students' lives and saying, hey, I'm seeing this with the students. I think we need to address this with our, with our parents as well. I love missional communities so much because there's so many opportunities for equipping parents Mm -hmm. to be better listeners, be gospel listeners, uh, to admitting weaknesses and failures, parent to parent and, and have that safe, that safe place where they can get feedback and coaching. So, you know, if you're a missional community leader out there and you're listening, one of the most amazing things you can do for, for student ministry is to intentionally talk to other parents about what they're doing as parents and what the, mm. what it would look like to, to infuse that with the gospel. I mean, that that's the best student ministry mm. that we can be doing is spending time with students and equipping parents to uh, continue to work throughout the week. And I think a lot of parents feel uh, overwhelmed, especially with teenagers. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. You're basically saying it's like, well, we have to disciple families and households. And yeah, it just reminds me of the the very real nature of that's how it works. You know, uh, families and houses come to faith. Uh, they really do. And, and children impact their parents and parents impact their children. What are some structural insights or, or maybe it's things that sh- people should be careful of or cautious of when 
kind of trying to to take their ministry, their maybe their student paradigm the way it is and moving it towards more of a an equipping missional community based discipleship of students. What are some things that people should know as they do that? Again, these are my opinions and there's other better ones out there probably in a lot of these <laughs> things, but you know, I could say with a lot of conviction, we say this about other aspects of ministry, which is these are people, they're not projects. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to continually repeat that, especially us in, in staff ministry positions. It can be very tempting to look at structure, procedure, numbers, which we should. I mean, that's faithfulness to the roles that we've been given. Yet at the same time, each student needs something uniquely to that student. I mean, each adult needs the same thing. We don't equip the same, we don't equip and disciple an adult the exact same way. We spend a lot of time listening and hearing what would be good news for them and, you know, where are they weak, where are they strong? Students need the exact same thing. And the most unfortunate thing that I see in student ministry, and I just wrote an article about this on the blog, it was about mentoring. And one of the most unfortunate things I see is so much of student ministry is crowd ministry. So it's get kids to show up to stuff, try to have enough volunteers so we don't lose anybody or nobody gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And then um, maybe we can dig into some life with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we get them to keep showing up enough. And I think the proof's in the pudding. So many students walk away from youth type ministry yeah. in college. And there's been endless reports about that. And it's, it's a sad reality, but, but I wonder often, what are they walking away from? Mm-hmm. And I'm convicted to say, I think they're walking away from the programs Right. It's not meeting a deep need that they have to have meaningful relationships. And so you, you asked about structurally. I am totally okay personally with having a handful of guys that I invest most of my best mm-hmm. energy in and just getting the other stuff done to be faithful to yeah. what I've been called to. I think it it's what bears the most fruit. I think it's what changes the most lives. And when you're thinking about equipping and discipleship, I don't have the bandwidth to, I mean, how many people can someone disciple and with kids and family and work and all these things? Uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to ask somebody to do. And the structural element that I'm most impressed with are people who can spend time with students. I ended the article by saying, you know, students have a uh, love language mm. and it's a plural love language. It's consistency hmm. and presence. They need you to be consistent because so many people have made promises to them yeah. and didn't keep them. So they need to know that you're consistent, trustworthy. And then it's presence. They, they need to be around you to see what you're like so you can see what they're like so they can let their guard down. They're experts at putting on masks and they're able to switch like as are adults, but students are skilled at having a different mass, depending on what group they're with. And it takes time with someone to figure out and and give them the safety to take the masks off Mm -hmm. and begin to, begin to speak into their lives. So that's kind of the, the thing that, that that I champion a lot is, is mentorship and um, just getting into students' lives, listening. Yeah, that's powerful. And I think, yeah, I, I actually, it reminds me of a quote from Alan Hirsch. I saw the other day that is, uh, you can do more with 12 disciples than you can with 12,000 religious consumers. And I thought that Ouch. was just like, yeah, totally. Uh, which is, it's money. It's And that goes for everyone 
you know, that's something I was telling our elder team here recently is like, man, if we can just invest deeply in like handfuls of leaders each, you know, and make sure that we like make these lasting, deep, you know, long lasting equipping in these people and pouring in and their discipleship, their understanding of the gospel, that will that will produce quite the the movement. Uh, you don't have to recruit and gather and sort of be that. Yeah, you don't have to meet consumer expectations to get thousands mm-hmm. of people. Yeah, that's really powerful just to be consistent and to be present. Yeah, one question that I have even in that, as you are consistent and present in people's lives, and, and you can only speak for your own experience, but what barriers to the gospel do you see? You know, you kind of spoke to the big event thing, but uh, with with students today in your context, what what kind of keeps them from the gospel or makes it hard for them to understand? What are those issues of belief and how do you speak into those? Well, a natural, I don't know if it's a natural barrier, but a, a cultural barrier in Southern California is just there's so few Christians. Right. Uh, and I would say gospel-centered Christians at that. Uh, I would say a biggest barrier t- to the gospel is is unfortunately Christians and then the lack thereof. So a right. double-edged sword. One, there's a lot of Christians who the only good news they're sharing is a form of, of, Hey, do this better. And we have a better way of doing this legalism or there's no exposure at all. So for instance, I have at least three times in the last year had students show up to one of the lunch clubs that we have for FCA. And when I got to ask them questions about who they were and what sports they play and all that stuff, got around to asking them, Hey, so did you grow up in any spiritual environment or what's your background like? And Three of these students said to me, not only did they not grow up in a home that didn't go to church, but neither did their parents and their grandparents went to church maybe once or twice. So you've got generations now of students, and at least in the context I'm in, where they've never even seen a church. The only thing they know is what they've seen on The Simpsons or on somebody, some whack job on the news getting interviewed. So there's a general culture of ignorance and not saying, you know, ignorance in the way of they don't know that they don't know, uh, but they assume that they do. So there's just a whole lack of even exposure to the good news of Jesus and the way we know him. Mm -hmm. Uh, That to me is the biggest cultural hindrance. I don't, most of the students that I interact with and I get to share about Jesus are not opposed. The most common pushback that I'll get is, yeah, I just don't really feel like I need, things are going good in my life. Right. And what, you know, that's, that's a whole other, that's a whole other ball game of, of being your own God and stuff. Right. But that for me is the biggest thing that, and then in the suburbs is time and busyness. So they see parents, maybe this is more towards the Christian audience, but they see parents who are Christians that take them to church a couple times a month who they've never seen open their Bible at home. Uh, they've never been involved in any type of fellowship mm-hmm. with other believers. So they think, well, yeah, I'll just be a Christian too. I'll, I'll go to church a couple of times here and there. And I see my dad give some money here or there and I'm, I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. So that's all. So that's another big hindrance to taking people into the, I would say, into the discipleship journey. Right. Yeah. And, and that, I guess that even speaks to, to what you shared earlier about kind of reaching families, especially if parents are going to be the primary disciple makers, regardless of if they're discipling them towards Jesus or towards someone else that that is a, a main point of contact or, or friction. Yeah, even then, I guess it's on the the equippers and the leaders of churches to begin thinking, how are we 
connecting those dots for parents and how are we helping parents come alive and live a faith that their children can watch and participate in. I think that's, uh, we're starting a new missional community here, my wife and I and some friends in Los Angeles, and we're intentionally setting it all up so that our children who are in grade school can participate in it. Mm. And our children haven't made like professions of faith or anything. So it's like, well, they need to be told the gospel and they need to see the gospel. And so what would it look like to make sure that they could see what it looks like to follow Jesus and so that we can, you know, reach their friends and their and our neighbors and, you know, people without kids and people with kids. But uh, it's been an interesting experience because I've never done that before. We've always kind of selected mission and then thought, oh, how can we include our kids or logistically mm-hmm. figure it out? But this has been pretty fun to think through oh, well, we should go to the park really regularly because our children, that's like the common place for our children to be. And we should invite their friends and their parents to come and have a picnic with us at a park every week on Sunday afternoons so that we can get to know them. And uh, and our children will actually see us follow Jesus mm. in mission. And so, yeah, hopefully that will lead to a lot of fruit when they're you know in junior high, high school and college. But I can see even how and there might be some families out there that could consider that today who have teenagers. Well, even what you're saying, you, you bring up a, a topic, which is um, you are intentionally, maybe there's a better way of saying this, but you're intentionally verbalizing what you're doing and why to your kids. Mm-hmm. I would say there's probably a lot of parents out there that actually are doing really great living as family on mission, um, serving people and the kids see them do it, but just like the good news, it's demonstrated and proclaimed. Right. And so a parent can actually demonstrate the gospel a ton, mm-hmm. but it's very helpful that you say to your student or even ask, do you know why dad does that mm-hmm. on a week to week basis? And their response might be, no, I've always wondered, but I didn't, right. you know, it's kind of kids, a lot of kids don't ask questions. I mean, especially <laughs> to their parents. Yeah. And so it's, I think it's really important. I, I love that you touched on that is that being intentional with, describing to the students or youth or whatever we're talking about here, why you do what you do is really important. I think with every aspect of life, but especially for us as believers, uh, it now gives your child begins to look at what you're doing and, and then maybe even feel safe to ask you more questions about other areas of your life that God might even use your kid to convict you of or something. Oh, definitely. (laughs) It is huge to think through that because there isn't that much difference in the way that we're living our lives now than the way even my grandparents lived life as as missionaries in Mexico or something. But I think there is a, a point in which you're right, that we have to make sure that we're sharing the hope that we have and the, the reason behind all of these activities that we're doing, uh, especially if we're trying to raise our kids in this Christian home and they're like going to church services, going to community meetings and meals and all of like. If we miss, let's explain to them what we're doing and why and why we pray and why we're praying for this family or why we care for them. Like that's huge. And huge. yeah, when they're really little, they ask questions, but I, but you're right. They, they stop eventually. And so it's uh, it's important for us to ask them questions like, mm. yeah, like, why do you think we're doing this? Why do you think we're being kind and serving our neighbors or, or why do you think we're giving our money? to these people to bless them and serve them. And that's great. You're right. That's, that is very, very key and crucial. And, and so if we can equip our parents to do that, 
that multiplies the effectiveness of a student ministry, if you will. And, and I think that that is a, a good perspective for us to have is we could hire one youth minister and say, hey, you do all the ministry to kids that are 18 years and younger. Or we can mm-hmm. say, hey, we've hired this person or we're setting aside this person so that you can equip all of us to make disciples of students so that we can all be youth ministers. Totally. Or at least let's have multiple communities that are youth ministers. Yeah. Which is the beauty that we're the priesthood of believers and all that. So. And how much would that honor? I'm just thinking of most of the churches I know and work with. How much would that honor the high school pastor or the junior high pastor to say, Hey, you know what? We want to give you a place where you can kind of describe to us parents, what you notice in the students Mm -hmm. and some of the things that you've done to connect with them and maybe give some feedback to the parents that are in the room on ways that they might just grow in relationship with their students, maybe help them in their growth as a disciple of Jesus, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have kind of blessings coming out every imaginable direction. Right. Yeah. And you touched on, as you asked your, you know, if you were to ask your daughter that situation, a question, all of those question asking, listening skills that I hear us talk about a lot in the saturated community that I love, it brings value back to the person's voice. Mm-hmm. And I just, sense and see uh, somewhat of a resounding, I don't even know what, what word to use for this, but there's a, there's a mindset most kids I work with have towards adults. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm just going to get really good at rehearsing back mm-hmm. to them what they want to hear. I already know what my mom wants to hear. I already know my, I know what the youth pastor wants to hear. Absolutely. And man, what a way to just totally sabotage growth, right? <laughs> what we want them to do is have the, a safe place to actually say what what is really on their mind, what they're really thinking through, even if we don't agree, mm-hmm. because we value their voice. Now, obviously, as a parent, there's a there's a whole bunch of intricacies to that yeah. of, of confronting and correcting and all those things. But I'm talking like with mid-adolescence, so high school or through university student, they have to know that we value their voice, even if we think that they're mm-hmm. wrong. And part of that is a huge this huge transition that happens in high school where this individualization process starts to really come out front and center. And I remember mine with my mom. I mean, I, my mom is a saint and I love her and she's a great mom and she modeled so much of what following Jesus looked like. But when it came to high school and I was going through puberty and stuff, the last thing that I wanted was to be a mama's boy, (laughs) you know, and I kind of was, but I need to prove to myself that I could survive without mom. So the last thing I wanted was for mom to come and try to coach me through every aspect of my life. I was like, get out of here. I got this. It wasn't like a spirit filled motivation at all, but it was part of me becoming a young man was figuring out, Hey, I can do this. And right. I see that happen so often. And I, and a lot of moms is why I'm talking <laughs> to that are distraught. <laughs> distraught mom is the second most common people group that I minister to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're an at-risk group. Oh, definitely. And often what comes out of those conversations is your kid has no voice in your house right now. Mm. Like you're trying to solve all your kid's problems. You're trying to coach him through everything. And he's trying to prove to you and everybody else that he's going to be a man mm. soon. And he just wants p- people to know that. Now that's a guy thing. So I'm, or I don't have the, you know, the experience of going to the whole <laughs> female transition portion, but I do know enough about guys and coaching football and being around them to know that, yeah. uh, there is, there is a place where they need to know that even if you disagree, whether you're a mentor, parent or a youth minister, you may disagree, but Hey, I, I value that you have your own convictions and mm-hmm. maybe we can talk about this more. Um, and that just goes so far in building trust and eventually even, 
potentially them considering you know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's so huge. And I think that with adults, a lot of times we might ask questions, though I think we struggle to do that a ton. Like um, it's one of the ways that I've seen even gospel fluency, this concept that Jeff has really helped bring about like, how do we speak the truth and love to others? Jeff Vanderstelt. And a lot of people abuse that and they take it it's like, okay, now I know like somebody tells me their problem. I'm going to like, you know, hammer in the gospel into their head. And like, mm-hmm. I did it. I spoke the truth in love. Like they came with me with anxiety and I gave them the gospel answer. Right. right. And I think we do that with our students a ton and our young adult children a ton. Like you have a bad attitude. Let me tell you how the gospel gives you a good attitude, you know? And, and uh, in both cases, whether we're it's with adults or with young people or really young children, I think you're absolutely right. Like the listening portion of it is what's really powerful. And uh, if we can listen, you know, 80 or 90% and then talk for the last 10, I think that what we say in that last 10 will actually be really heard. And, and by the time we get to that last 10, we'll actually know what we're supposed to say that would be encouraging or challenging or pinpointed to their souls. So I think that's, that's really good advice and on, yeah, discipling our own teenagers, discipling families that are, you know, discipling teenagers and all across the board. So that's huge. Absolutely. Tim, we'll we'll have you back on uh, several times and just this can be a preview for folks. We'll begin coming out with actual resources geared towards students and student leaders and all of that in the coming year. And very excited to be doing that at Saturate. Just such a key, crucial point when people come to faith, but also it's this is the next generation. So like you, you brought up football, it's like you're only as good as your incoming class. You know, like we have to begin nurturing and equipping and discipling uh, our students for a lifetime of mission. Yeah, super excited to be doing that. As always, everybody, if you've been enjoying the podcast, give us a, a rating, a review on wherever you're listening to it, whatever platform you're engaging with us on. And if you have any questions or topics that we definitely need to cover, you can just send us a question either through Twitter or Instagram, social media of any kind. Connect with us because we love hearing from you and we love making sure that what we're hitting on is actually helpful for for you as a disciple maker in your city or place. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tim. And we will talk to you guys and listen again real soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.